What's up and welcome to Ask Father Josh, the podcast where I get to listen to your questions, pray with them, and hopefully respond in such a way that is helpful for you in your walk toward eternity and your walk toward becoming the particular saint God desires for you and all of us to be. Here's how the show goes. If you are a first-time listener, you can hit me up with three to five questions dealing with morality, the spirituality, the interior life, the spiritual life, relationship advice, dogma, doctrine, discipleship, evangelization, catechesis, the list goes on and on and on. I will then sit with your questions, pray with them, spend time discussing them with other theologians, and try to get back to you with some advice that is helpful for you to grow in virtue. However, here's a disclaimer, I'm not perfect, and so every now and then my advice might not actually, in fact, be helpful for you. If that's the case, then I really want to encourage you and give you the freedom to reject whatever it is that I say that does not help you to grow in holiness and in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you can also hit me up with your own questions, comments, and critiques at AskFatherJosh at AscensionPress.com. Rate us and review us on iTunes and other podcast formats that helps other people know about the show and share us on your social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, etc. Again, that helps people find out about the show if it's a gift for you potentially it can become a gift for them as well. On today's show, I'm excited. We're going to talk about the saints and do they have the capacity to know our thoughts? We're going to talk about the queen of all saints, Mary. And, uh, you know, did she know, right? Get it? Mary, did you know? And uh, we're going to talk about how we can teach our teenagers about the Catholic Church whenever our church has a history that has at times been pretty ugly over the past 2,000 years and really beautiful too but yeah definitely had some ugly moments uh, but before we get into those topics I got a glory story I want to share with you so yeah my glory story is it's pretty simple but it's also pretty amazing uh, for those of you who have listened to the podcast, you know that I struggle with novenas. Uh, but recently, glory story, I was able to complete a nine-day novena in time for the Immaculate Conception. Y'all, this is a huge deal for me. I'm really good about being intentional, consistent with the scripture, and with the rosary, and with time before the Blessed Sacrament. Obviously, I'm consistent with the liturgy of the hours and the mass, uh, but when it comes to like devotionals, like novenas, I'm just, I've never been good with them. I, I do it for like one, two, three days and I forget. And then I'm like, oh man, it's like day eight and I got to pick it back up. So, but I, because of accountability, was able to finish up a nine day novena for a special intention. And I, and I think really it's because of the grace of God and because of the gift of community. I did it with uh, a few other brothers and sisters in the Lord who held me accountable. And so it just was a great reminder to me that no man is an island. No person is an island. We all need each other to, to uphold each other, to affirm each other, to encourage each other, to convict each other, to criticize each other so that we can be purified in our walk toward becoming the saints God wants us to be and so that we can persevere uh, in becoming those saints. And so, yeah, I was able to, to do a nine-day novena. And for me, that was a big deal. Also, quick other side glory story level two consolation is i had some tea today y'all like you know i love my coffee but sister miriam james uh introduced me to this tea game and it it smells good and it tastes good too so my glory story is i have a new uh thing that i, I kind of like it makes my throat feel good too so shout out to whoever invented tea because it tastes good mm. ah, getting that singing voice ready for the mary did you know question all right. So, uh, yeah. So 
that's my glory story. And uh, let's go ahead and get into a follow-up from a previous episode. Uh, feedback comes in from Christy. Christy writes this. Wait, Christy, I got to get some more tea. Hold up. Mm. Man, tea is so good. Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, hey, Father Josh, thank you so much for your podcast. I'm enjoying all the content that you provide, and I find it very helpful in my day-to-day life. It motivates me to be a better follower of Christ. Before I go on, my oldest son, who's now 18, heard you speak a couple of years ago during their youth group trip with St. Joseph's Church in Ponchatoula, the annual trip to D.C. for the March for Life. You were the first person he mentioned when he came home and was excited about meeting this really cool, down-to-earth priest named Father Josh. I just wanted to say thank you for being a positive role model for our youth, especially our African-American youth. It's great having someone not only our kids can relate to, but also African-American cradle Catholics like myself. Purpose of my email today is, to, uh, is a show suggestion. I would love it if you would do a show segment on some of your favorite things, Catholic edition. These are a few of my favorite things. Mary and Joseph and all of the saints. I really like to... Pray with the Bible. That is what I do for my own survival. Spend some time before the Eucharist. Yeah. Rosary, I got it. Divine Mercy Chaplet, I pray. My scapula, I wear. I run my neck every day. <laughs> Anyways, um, it could be on any and all things Catholic, such as Catholic music, by Catholic artists, books, prayers, Catholic online, local stores, etc. This came to my mind when I came across some beautiful artwork on your Instagram page. Yo, shout out to my Instagram page, Father Josh Johnson, FR Josh Johnson, uh, and was wondering if you would point me to where I could purchase African-American inspired pictures of the Holy Family. I've searched for religious African-American inspired pictures, but have not yet come across any as nice as the ones you posted so when I saw them on your page, I just knew I had to ask, even if it mentions uh, me driving out to Holy Rosary and asking you in person. Thank you again for all you do in the Catholic community. Christy, yeah, Christy, thank you so much for your question. I do believe that it is necessary to have beautiful, diverse Catholic artwork. One of the first things that we did when I got here at Holy Rosary in Santa Mons, we put up a wall of saints, of diverse saints, men, women, young people, old people, uh, priests, religious, lay faithful, uh, people who were in state of life vocations and people who were not in state of life vocations, people who are black and white and Latino, uh, people who are Asian and Native American. You have Kateri Tekakwitha, Joseph Makita, Martin DePorish, Charles Luanga, John Paul II, John XXIII, Fulton Sheen, Oscar Romero, Lucia, Francesco, Jacinta, Juan Diego. Um, there's just so many beautiful people that when people come here, they can see somebody that looks like them, and it's been very helpful for so many. Also, in our Fuller Grace Cafe, we have Mother Amri DeLille, and we have Father Augustus Tolton, and we have um, Padre Pio, and we have diverse images of Mary's apparitions, Cabejo and Guadalupe, and the Rosary. And so uh, most of that artwork came from uh, portraitsofsaints.com, which is a really awesome website that has diverse images of Mary and of the saints. Uh, if you look at my Instagram page, you will see diverse images of the Holy Family. Norman Fauché has painted beautiful images of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, uh, along with many of the saints. Uh, white, black images, and just different images of holiness, right, depicting Jesus and Mary to look like people who are black and people who are white and of different ethnicities. So that's another uh, resource for you. Another resource that you can go to is the nationalblackcatholiccongress.com, uh, their website. They also have a a store where they have beautiful artwork. And also, if you come to Holy Rosary, we have Sacred Arts and Gifts of Jesus and Mary. And one of the unique things about our gift shop is in our gift shop, we have Bibles. We have the African-American Catholic Youth Bible. We have the New American Bible. We have the Revised Standard Version Bible. We have uh, beautiful artwork. Uh, we have 
black images of Mary and Jesus and white images of Mary and Jesus and Latina, uh, Latino images of Mary and Jesus. Uh, we have uh, shirts that have the six uh, black candidates for sainthood on them. Henri Delille and Thea Bowman and Pierre Toussaint, etc. Julia Greeley, Mother Mary Lange. Uh, and so uh, you can come here and you can shop and get some beautiful, diverse artwork and crucifixes and um, things like that here as well. It's really, really important for people to have diverse images of holiness in their homes for their kids to see um, and in their churches for when people who come from different backgrounds for us to recognize ourselves in the saints and in Jesus, Mary, and Joseph um, as well, especially here in America. A diverse nation, we need we need to have diverse images of heaven. So yeah, thank you for your question. I agree with you 100% and I'm definitely looking forward to doing a show about favorite things. Okay, let's get into today's topics. First topic comes in from Angela. Angela says this, Father Josh, uh, in one of your podcasts, you said that the devil does not know our thoughts. Do the saints know our thoughts? I have always prayed silently to them. Thank you sincerely, Angela. Yeah, so Angela, first and foremost, we have to look at communication. There's many different ways to communicate with people. We can communicate with our words. We can communicate by writing them down on paper. We can communicate via text message or emails. We can communicate via sign language or cute speech. We can communicate uh, with our eyes. I have some friends who they can look at me and my facial expression and my eyes communicate a million words and they know exactly what I'm thinking just by my eyes. And that can also apply to the saints. But also what can apply to the saints is we can invite them into our thoughts. We can invite them so we can silently communicate with them if we invite them in. With our invitation, those conversations can definitely happen. But apart from like certain circumstances um, that are unique, in general, the saints won't know our thoughts. Every now and then, God might give someone permission, an angel or a saint or a person, a member of the body of Christ, an entry into our thoughts if it's going to help us to become a saint. Like Padre Pio was able to read souls only because it helped people become saints. That's the only reason why God allowed it to happen. But that was a unique gift that was given to unique people for unique circumstances. He could not read everybody's soul. It was only particular people that God allowed it to happen. Uh, while he was on earth, and the same applies for why he's a member of the body of Christ in heaven. Even though the saints are glorified, um, they are capable of possessing a lot of information because they're glorified. They still can't know everything because though glorified, they're not God. Um, if there's something that's relevant to that saint, whether it's information or whatever it might be, God will share it with that saint. It's God who shares that with that saint. If it's not relevant for our sanctification and for that saint to know, God will not share it with that saint. They are only made aware of our requests and of our petitions and our intercessions and our desires for a relationship whenever it's going to help them help us get to him, God, and it's only done by God's grace anyway. Does that make sense? Hopefully so. Anyways, that would be my response to you, Angela, which is cool because your name is like Angel, right? The messenger. So speaking of a messenger, sometimes we have to share a message that isn't so beautiful, that isn't so saintly, and it's about the ugliness of the church's 2,000-year-plus history. So next question comes in from Heatherly. Heatherly writes this, hey, Father Josh, thank you so much for your ministry. You are my commute buddy on the way to teach grade eight American history in a public school. Shout out to public education. That's what I received for the majority of my life. Um, and so, you know, gosh, in some cases, it can even be better than Catholic education, especially whenever people go to Catholic schools and they learn things that are heretical. But sometimes it can be bad, too. Anyways, long story short, let's get back to your question heavily. Given that the Catholic Church 
was the only game in town for 1,500 plus years, if you love Jesus. Uh, we've been talking a bit about the role it played in history. I was well formed by my experience in RCAA, so I'm able to answer student questions about the church's teachings. I had a good humanities education, so I can also answer about other faiths and Protestantism in general. But here's my question. How do I address some of the awful things that happen in church history, like how the church treated scientists during the Age of Reason, or the selling of indulgences during the Crusades, or Christopher Columbus and other explorers wiping out entire cultures of native people? People then knew that murder was wrong and that heaven couldn't be accessed through monetary donations to a greedy pope or bishop, and this still happened. I talked about how people generally do the best they can and how the churches are run by perfectly imperfect people who represent their time. My students seem to be okay with that answer of imperfect people being in charge, but their natural conscience is telling them that someone should have tried hard to stop some of these shameful things done in the name of God. I'd love some advice. Thanks, Heavily. Yeah, well, Heavily, I mean, honestly, some people did try to stop, right? If you think about it, since Jesus came here in the Incarnation and began walking with the 12 apostles who became our first, like, bishops, uh, Peter, who became the first pope, they were all really messy, like, all 12 of them. He told them at the Last Supper, you're all going to abandon me, and they all did. Everyone, including John, abandoned him. John came back, but they all abandoned him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter not only abandoned him, but Peter denied him three times. Uh, Judas betrayed him. Thomas doubted him. Uh, the apostles scattered. They left him. They weren't there at the cross. They hurt God, who is perfect. Like God didn't do anything to hurt anybody, and yet he experienced a lot of pain and suffering at the hands of his disciples. So that's really sad. Uh, but likewise, you know what? We've, do, we've done the same thing. Anytime we offend any member of the body of Christ, we're offending Christ himself. Uh, and this has happened in the messiness of the church, even after the, the, the sin of the Holy Spirit. You know, Peter received the Holy Spirit and Many people converted to Christianity after that, but then Peter still messed up. And Paul, who became an apostle later, had to call Peter out and said, but bro, you being a hypocrite, right? So like, the church has always been messy, but even when the church was messy, Jesus Christ chose to dwell with the church, chose to abide with the church. So whenever the church is messy, we have two options. We can either reform from within or revolt. Um, and so Martin Luther revolted. That didn't do anything good because all that did was cause a new church to be, a new community to be be brought up every day. And look at all the division that we have within Christianity now. And there are other saints who tried to reform from within, who did try to change all the bad things that were happening, like St. Francis of Assisi and St. Dominic and St. Ignatius of Loyola and St. Catherine of Siena and St. Teresa of Avila. Like There are so many reformer saints in the church's history who did try to respond to the evil that was happening. Just like when Peter was doing evil things, Paul responded to that in the Bible. It's, it's a biblical account of, of two people who were both broken and one who was hurting other people and another person came and tried to stop them. And now they're both canonized saints. So praise God, it worked out well for both of them. Um, so this happens a lot, right? The church is the bride of Christ. The church um, in heaven is definitely perfect um, because she's been perfected by the blood of Christ and she's been through the the gift of purgatory and she's now experiencing uh, that perfection in him in heaven. But the church on earth is still trying. We're still struggling. We're on that struggle bus. And uh, it's a real struggle bus for real sometimes for all of us, including me. But the reason why I'm able to stay in the church is because God never left me. And if God has not abandoned me, then I'm called to imitate God and not abandon my brothers and sisters who have been and can be really messy. And so throughout salvation history, throughout the 2000 year history of the church, 2000 plus year history of the church, even though there were messy people who were really broken and, and hurt a lot of people, including God, um, there were a lot of people who 
responded to that with with grace, like Mother Teresa and John Paul II, who responded uh, to that sin and and tried to to show the goodness of the Lord um, as members of the body of Christ. So, yeah, I think you're doing a good job. I think you, your your answer to your kids is, is, is sufficient. I mean, the church is we, the church. You and I are messy. Like we are broken. Uh, but we're also blessed. That sounds like the name of my book. Actually, it's the name of my book. Check it out. You get broken and blessed. I address this topic and much more in that book. You get the audio book as well on iTunes. But the book is available on EssentialPress.com and on Amazon.com and at Sacred Arts and Gifts of Jesus and Mary at Holy Rosary, as well as Catholic Arts and Gifts and a few other places too. But anyways, that was a cheap plug. So if you have any more questions about this topic, hit me up at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com. And when we return, we are going to discuss the question of the century to Mary. Did you know? Stay tuned. All right. Hi, I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista. When I became Catholic, I had a really hard time understanding the role Mary was supposed to play in my life. So I went to her and I told her, I just don't get it. I need your help. And guess what? Mary did just that. She showed me a way to pray that has revolutionized my entire life. Mary has been called the mother of listening. She didn't just hear the word. She knew how to hear it in light of her own relationships, circumstances, and habits. And then she let the word transform her. I realized that I had to share what I was learning about Mary's way of praying with others. So I wrote How to Pray Like Mary, a step-by-step guide to discovering God's voice in the scriptures and letting Him transform your heart. I invite you to learn more about How to Pray Like Mary at ascensionpress.com or on Amazon. And we're back. Just before we get into that final question, I want to remind you to hit me up with your own questions at AskFatherJosh at EssentialPress.com. Rate us and review us on iTunes and share us on your social media. All right, Blair asked this, Father Josh, you've been talking about Mary that you know for a while now. When are you going to talk about that on the show? Well, Blair, I'm going to talk about it right now. All right, so what's the deal with Mary Did You Know? Mary Did You Know was a song that was uh, composed probably by a Protestant um, or by someone who was trained in Protestant thought. And it's a pretty song. It's a song that a lot of people love. A lot of people also hate it. A lot of people are drawn to it. A lot of people resist it. Why? Well, because the lyrics of the song, some people have no idea that the lyrics are can be potentially sketchy, right? Um, Because they're like, man, we sing that every year at my church. Well, in the song, the artist writes, Mary, did you know that your baby boy... I feel like Joe. I remember, like, I won. (laughs) Anyways, Mary, did you know that your baby boy... And goes on and says... Here's the, here's the problematic line, that, you're, that the child that you deliver or the son that you deliver, whatever it says, will soon deliver you, right? Uh, the issue is this, is that uh, in Protestant thought, Mary was born with original sin like the rest of us, and then Jesus came and saved her. Um, in Catholic thought, Mary was saved by Jesus Christ, but outside of time, uh, right? We all believe, Catholics and Protestants alike, believe that Mary did need, in fact, she needed a Savior. She says this herself in the Magnificat, right? She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, right? So she needed a Savior, but the way that Christ was her Savior, um, he saved her um, outside of time. He applied the passion, death, and resurrection, right, to Mary outside of time, whereas uh, the rest of us were born with original sin, and it's then given to us um, after. So for her, though, he he saved her. She was born immaculate. Just like Christ was immaculately conceived, so was Mary. As were Adam and Eve, they were created immaculately. So it's not like on her for people to be created perfectly. But Mary, like Adam and Eve and Jesus, was also conceived. She was conceived perfectly, right? Uh, she did not have original sin. Um, we know this because in the book of Revelation, John saw the image 
of heaven. He saw the Ark of the Covenant, and in the Ark, he then begins to talk about this woman, and it's like, wait a minute, for a Jew to talk about the Ark and then talk about a woman, like, what's he doing? Well, he's basically saying that the Ark of the Covenant, Mary, is the new Ark, and because in the old Ark, it was the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod, um, it was the, the man that came down from heaven, in Mary's womb, Jesus Christ is the bread of life, the high priest, the law made flesh. Uh, and so why does John call her a woman? Well, because John was at the foot of the cross. John was at the wedding of Cana, and that's what Jesus called Mary, woman. So John sees Mary, woman, and he talks about this woman. He talks about a dragon. He talks about a son that she delivered, that she gave birth to, and that ended up you know, defeating the dragon. And obviously that son is Jesus, the dragon, and Satan, the woman, is, is, is Mary, right? But the dragon tried to touch the woman, but the woman was given wings, so the dragon was never able to touch her. Therefore, she was saved from ever being touched by Dragon, serpent, Satan, devil, sin, right? Was she saved on her own accord? No, she was saved by the grace of God. God gave her those wings that protected her from being touched by the dragons. In the book of Revelation, check it out. So anyways, so Mary was kept safe. She was kept safe from ever being touched by, by sin. God saved her preveniently, right? He saved her outside of time. Uh, there's a few examples that can help people understand the Immaculate Conception. One is the classic swimming pool example. If you have a kid who's in a swimming pool, said kid is drowning, you can jump in the pool and save the kid. That's essentially what Christ did with all of us. In fact, one of my good friends, Grace, her son James one time, uh, he was in the pool and struggling in the water, and Grace noticed it. And she was like dressed like to the nine that day. I forgot why. Maybe they came from church or something. And she walked in the pool very gracefully and saved her son. And then afterwards, she recognized, oh, my goodness, I'm in the pool right now. Like, what am I doing? So funny story. But for many of us, that's what happened with us. We're in that water of original sin. God jumps in, pulls us out. But there's another way that a parent could save their kid from drowning. Said kid is slipping toward the swimming pool and parent pulls the kid by the arm. Kid never touches the water. That's what happened with Mary. Father Mike gives a really cool uh, example as well about like a doctor who gives people who have a disease a shot and then they're healed by receiving that shot, whereas other people are healed because they receive the vaccine. The vaccine saved them from ever getting the sickness. That's what Mary got. She got that vaccine, right, of that grace, of that immaculate grace, and so she was saved from it. So, um, that's why the song is problematic, first of all, right? Because it's it's making the assumption uh, we believe, we perceive, uh, uh, we assume. It's making this assumption that uh, they believe that Mary uh, was born with original sin, in which we know she was not because the church teaches she was not. What the Bible teaches about the church's authority is that the Pope was given the, the keys, right? Peter was given the, the authority to bind to loose. What he binds on earth is bound in heaven. What he loosed on earth is loosed in heaven, right? And so the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, gave us the Bible, the canon of Scripture. Everybody believes in the Bible, the Word of God. Remember, the Bible was not put together. A canon of the Scriptures was not put together until 382 at the Synod of Rome, and then again at Carthage and Hippo, and then again at Trent, etc. Um, but um, Florence and Trent. But, you know, that, that was the Pope who did that. That was the Bishop of Rome, the Pope. He bound it on earth, it's bound in heaven. He also, the Pope, spoke about Mary and her Immaculate Conception. Remember, whenever our Blessed Mother appeared to Bernadette, she said, I am the Immaculate Conception to this young girl, Bernadette. Pope Pius came out in 1854 with the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which the church always believed in, but he made it, you know, that's when he officially proclaimed it. He proclaimed it a dogma. He didn't make it something new. He proclaimed, oh, yeah, this is definitely church teaching because it's being called into question. And he basically clearly proclaimed the truth that the Virgin Mary, in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, was preserved free from all stain of original sin, right? She was preserved. She was preserved. As Catholics, we confess that, right, this saving act of Jesus Christ's cross, resurrection, 
redeemed Mary preveniently, preventing sin from defining her, all right? Defining her being, her being from the very beginning, all right? So again, like this is pretty cool, right? So basically, if a Catholic were to look at that song, a Catholic could say, all right, well, all right, here's a way you can maybe justify it is like if you were to say something like this, like, all right, the child that you deliver will soon deliver you. Like, yeah, in time, she would soon see how she was delivered by Jesus, but how he applied that to her. Like she was already, right, freed because he applied it. Remember, the, 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 the sacrifice at Calvary, that, that once and for all sacrifice is outside of time, can be applied to the past, present, and the future. So he applied it to Mary, right, before he even did it, right? He saved her pre- preveniently. It's like a she received what we would call like a proto-baptism. She was saved in a proto-baptism. The child that Mary delivered and held in her arms would soon in time allow her to see, this is how I delivered you, right? She got to witness her own deliverance that she was already living in, that she was already experiencing, which is pretty cool. So if you like want to sing this song, but like singing through that that lens, then like, you know, that's cool. I mean, first of all, you should never sing that song in liturgy because it's not a liturgical song. But like if you're having fun singing that song with pentatonics, phonics, phonics, supersonic, hypnotic, fresh, whatever the group is called, right? Then I always I would say that you could potentially look at it through that lens of, yeah, like in time, she was going to be able to see how her son did de- deliver her, in fact, in reality, because she was able to experience it already. Uh, does that make sense? Yes. So, yes, the child who she delivered would soon in time deliver her, which she was already actually delivered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got to have like a theological imagination to, to go there. But speaking of Mary and her awesome immaculate conception, right, that novena I got to pray recently, let's go ahead and pray a Hail Mary together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, for the grace the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. Let me get some tea real quick. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. All right, Mary, we love you, and we thank you for saying yes to the will of God. And for giving us our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you. Can't wait to continue walking with you all toward eternity.